Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Relationship Rehab. The pandemic has not been kind to relationships. Families are feuding and friendships have fractured. Join us to discover God's principles for rebuilding key relationships. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, Liquid Church? I am happy to be here with you today. I'm Pastor Kyra, and it is great to see you all for the conclusion of our series, Relationship Rehab. Now let's give our live locations and church online a big welcome, guys. We're so glad that you're joining us. For the last two weeks, Pastor Tim has been teaching us how to fix and repair broken relationships. And I know that I've been stretched by this series. In fact, last week he asked, is there a relationship in your life that needs repair? And I immediately thought of one relationship that suffered this past year in my life and could certainly use a little repair. Now I know many of you thought of someone too, And maybe you took the first step last week. You sent out a text or an email to get together with the person that hurt you. You know, this past Sunday, I talked to a woman who told me she has someone in her life who she feels hurt by, but she's hesitating to reach out because this isn't their first rodeo. You know what I mean? Like there's been instances in the past where she's experienced hurt and conflict with this person and she's feeling weary of inviting them back into her life because she doesn't want to get hurt again. Can anybody relate to that? Because I certainly could. In fact, her comment led me to a question that I couldn't stop thinking about as we discussed reconciliation last week. You see, I agree that we should live with no regrets when it comes to our relationships and that we should actually learn how to repair them. But I couldn't stop thinking, how do I avoid getting hurt again? Like if we reach out to people who've hurt us and we're vulnerable with them, how do I avoid getting hurt again at the expense of our relationship? Especially with people who are repeat offenders. You know what I mean? Like, let's say you want to be close to your mom. You want to be close to your mother-in-law. Of course you do. But they actually can't help but give you unsolicited advice that makes you feel like a failure as a parent. Or how do you avoid uh, repeated hurts from a coworker who's passive aggressive in front of your boss and you wanna be cordial and friendly, but you don't want a knife in your back? Or how about when your kid becomes an adult and all of a sudden she's making choices you don't agree with? How can you show your love and your support for them while not compromising your convictions or actually starting to have more conflict? In other words, how do I avoid getting hurt again and avoid walking into repeated hurts that want to keep us away from people. Well, today I want to invite you to open up your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew 13, because we're actually going to travel all the way to Nazareth and out of the way, insignificant Podunk town, about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. It's actually the place where Jesus grew up. In fact, for 30 years, Jesus grew up and spent time with this crowd. Okay, this is the crowd that were the friends of his mother, Mary, and friends of his father, Joseph, and of his brothers and his sisters. And for 30 years, the people of Nazareth saw little Jesus go from a toddler to a little boy 
to the awkward years of being a tween, to becoming a teen, to finally becoming an adult and learning the trade of carpentry from his dad, Joe. These people spent time with Jesus's family, okay? They probably had dinners, they had parties and celebrations with them, and they saw Jesus develop in all that time. They were very familiar with him in a way that you and I will never be. In other words, these were Jesus's childhood friends, okay? And so one afternoon, after Jesus had started his public ministry, he decides he's going to go visit his hometown. And that's where our scene picks up today. Verse 54, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were, what's the word church? Amazed. People were amazed because even though Jesus wasn't a trained rabbi, his reputation as a miracle worker and as a teacher had preceded him. In other words, he was something of a celebrity in those days. In fact, his visit to Nazareth would be the modern day equivalent of a famous actor or singer returning to the small town where they grew up. Lin-Manuel Miranda is one of the most famous Puerto Ricans that I can think of right now. Do you know what happened the last time that he visited Puerto Rico? He got the welcome of a hometown hero. I mean, this guy is a rock star. Come on, people, have you seen Encanto? We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. But we most definitely talk about Lin-Manuel. And when he visited Puerto Rico, everybody went nuts. And that's what's happening here as Jesus is coming back to Nazareth. Okay, so far, so good, yeah? Let's keep reading. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Now, at first, their reaction seems positive, right? Like they're amazed at the things that Jesus is doing and at his wisdom. Because by this point in time, they've actually heard some news. They've heard some rumors that Jesus healed a paralyzed man that came through a roof. They heard Jesus actually raised a dead girl back to life and that a woman who was bleeding for 12 years, remember her? She got healed just by touching his robe. Say what now? So the Nazarenes, they're astonished. Jesus is our hometown hero. Wow. He's made us so proud. Finally, somebody's going to put no good Nazareth on the map. But then, way in the back of the crowd, arms crossed is an older man shaking his head. Mm, mm, mm. He speaks and the crowd parts. Wait just a minute. Come a little closer. You look a little familiar. And he walks up to Jesus and he examines his face and he points his finger and he says, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers Jimmy and Joe and Simon and Jude. Wait, aren't they, aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? In other words, they were like, wait just a minute. You're telling me this is little Jesus? 
Like Mary's boy, Jesus? And someone probably says, the carpenter? That guy? It's like a light bulb goes on for them. I mean, they probably saw him in his little wool diapers. They saw Jesus at his father's knee when Joseph were making, was making dining room chairs for all of their neighbors. So is it any wonder that they don't understand how Jesus has power that comes from God? Guys, have you ever visited your childhood home, those of you who moved away? like the town where you grew up? Maybe you went back for a high school reunion. How'd that go? Can I just tell you, the other day I was with my daughter, we went to Target. We're about to go in through the door and a woman yells, Pastor Kyra, mom, it's Pastor Kyra, the lady on TV. But by the way, please, please don't feel like you have to act that way around me. I'm just Kyra, you can call me just Kyra. We are all the same. But the funny thing is, is that when I go back home to San Juan, I'm not Pastor Kyra. I'm just Kyra, la hija de Luis y Selena. Have you ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Isn't it funny that the closer you are to someone, the more that you find fault with them? Uh, like think, for example, when you start your new job, right? You started a new job and in the beginning you loved everything about it. You loved your boss, your coworkers. It's a dream come true. Now you've been there a year and you've actually gotten a little sneak peek behind the curtain and you've noticed eh, not everything that shines is gold. You've actually seen your boss has some pretty terrible qualities. There's some dysfunctional practices here. It's a completely different story. A year later, you actually can muster up the energy to be positive when you come to work anymore. Why? Familiarity breeds contempt. Or let's say your ex-boyfriend is now a pastor at your church. And all you can think is how, for the love of all that is holy, can that man lead other people into worship and into God's presence? He was the worst boyfriend. Familiarity breeds contempt. Guys, it happens at work. It can happen in churches. It happens in families. And it's what's happening here. The Nazarenes think they know Jesus. So they actually start to find fault with Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? What, by the way, what a demeaning thing to ask, okay? It's like asking someone, um, I'm sorry, how much did you say you make? I mean, it's like a little telenovela, okay? You've got like the elitist religious leaders over here poo-pooing the penniless carpenter over here, and they keep going. Isn't his mother's name Mary? By the way, what are they implying with that question? They're implying that Jesus is illegitimate, or like they say in Spanish, un bastardo. Talk about harsh, but they keep going. Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, like, aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? In other words, wait a minute. Aren't all these kids like Jesus' brothers and sisters, aren't they still in Nazareth? They're our neighbors. What's he talking about that he comes from God? Jesus comes from Mary. I've known him since he was a kid. Who does he think he is? Their familiarity with Jesus is breeding their contempt for Jesus. I mean, why are they so offended? Like, why are they so hostile against Jesus? I want you to watch this, church. I want you to put your finger here, and I want you to flip back 
one page and look at chapter 12. In chapter 12, Jesus is actually teaching people. Everyone's crowded around him. And someone goes to Jesus and tells him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They're wanting to speak to you. Now, I don't know about you, but if my mama calls me at work, you best believe I'm going to take that call. And so should you. But what does Jesus actually says? He says, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? The ones who do the will of my father. What you talking about, Jesus? You're too good for us, huh? Can't take our calls anymore? Getting too big for your britches, mijo? Is it any wonder then that rather than accept Jesus' words, the Nazarenes get offended at Jesus? Look at verse 57 and say these words aloud with me. And they took, what's the word, church? Offense at him. They took offense. Everybody say offense. Offense. They get bent out of shape. They attack Jesus. They're like, you don't fool me, Jesus. I've known you since you were young. You're not the son of God. You're the son of a measly carpenter. All their life, they've actually been told a Messiah is coming, but they can't believe it's Jesus. By the way, the word took offense in this verse is the Greek word scandalizo. It means escandalo or scandal. The people were scandalized by Jesus' teaching. Again, all you need to do is put your finger here, flip back one page, and you'll actually hear Jesus say stuff like, if you're not with me, you're against me. And the Nazarenes found that stuff a little offensive. They were too close to the situation, and they missed the Messiah that was standing in their midst. They had a cynical spirit and developed a hard heart. They took offense at him. Now, I want you to give Jesus some credit. Because instead of striking back, when I read this, I kind of think Jesus, he kind of shrugged his shoulders. Maybe he said to his disciples, guys, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. Meaning, there's something about the place that you grew up in or in your own home, maybe even your own family, that just makes things harder than they need to be. I mean, the Nazarenes had lived with Jesus for 30 years. They were like, we know this guy. And they couldn't get over it. They all knew Jesus the carpenter, but they didn't know Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus' response, a prophet, hey, he's not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. It actually acknowledges that sometimes it is hard to be in relationship with the people closest to you or the people who actually claim to know you best. Now, what's the end result? When the familiarity between you and someone else that knows you well starts breeding contempt, you actually start taking offense at what they say, how they think, even how they react. Little by little by little, you end up putting a fence between you and them. In other words, church, offenses create fences. Think about it. A wall will actually come up between me and you when someone offends me. Because I got to protect myself 
from feeling hurt. I got to hide behind something that can protect me. And I need some kind of barrier, kind of armor to have some distance from the person that actually hurt me. Offenses create fences. After all, that's what offense is. It's actually a barrier that controls access. I can control who gets in and who stays out. And it keeps you and other people away from each other. Now, can I tell you about an offense that created a fence against someone who hurt me? I have been in relationship for over 10 years with someone who have come to meant a great deal to me and to my family. Probably one of my closest adult relationships. And about a month ago, I actually discovered that this person said something about me to someone else that I also care about. And it wasn't just untrue, it was very unkind. In fact, I actually received it as an attack on my integrity, or at least that's how it felt to me. I'll tell you, I did not see that coming. And that stuff cut deep. I was very hurt. I went home that day and I told my husband, I burst into tears. I couldn't sleep thinking about it. And I realized I need to cool off before we have a conversation about this, because I don't want to say stuff in my anger that I'll regret. The problem was I never cooled down. I actually internalized all of the hurt that I felt. And in the process, my offense became offense between us. Because my response and my relationship to this person has never been the same ever since. I stopped seeking them out. I stopped thinking of them as someone trustworthy. And instead of keeping my door open and my welcome mat out, I actually kept this person purposely on the outside. That's what happened to the Nazarenes. They took offense against Jesus and they couldn't believe the things that he was saying because they thought that they knew him. And their offense built a fence that kept Jesus out of their lives. How do I know this, church? Because what we're about to read is actually one of the saddest sentences in all of Scripture. I want you to look at verse 58. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, and Jesus did not do many miracles there. Because what, church? Because of their lack of faith. In other words, the people's offense against Jesus, built a fence that kept the power of God out of their lives. Think about it. Their cynical spirit meant that they missed out on miracles. It caused a stalemate in their relationship. Why? Because offenses create fences. Now, some of you sitting here today, I know that you know what I'm talking about because you've had someone who's offended you, and you put up a fence. But now you've been coming to relationship rehab. You've actually done your homework. You reached out. You sent a text. You talked. And you feel like maybe we can reconcile. But you're nervous. 
you're actually afraid. Mm, if I move the fence, are they going to hurt me again? For example, let's say that you have a friend that you love and you want them to be in your life. But lately you've noticed mm, she's kind of been treating you poorly, like talking harshly about the other people in your friend group. If you move this fence, will she hurt you again? Or maybe you want to get to know your sister's new boyfriend, but you have a kid with special needs and you don't want to keep getting into the same arguments with him about why it's not actually okay to call people the R word. How do you avoid getting hurt again? Well, ironically, what keeps you protected from being offended again is the setup of a new fence in your relationship. Now, I just want to call out, you're probably thinking like, wait, what? Kyra, you just said we need to take the fence out of our way. Now you want me to put another one? Guys, the truth is that ironically, to avoid getting hurt again, it will require you to put up new fences, not old fences, but new fences, guardrails or healthy boundaries for your relationship. Now, what do I mean by guardrails? Well, first of all, as you guys know, guardrails are on both sides of the street. And you guys know what a good guardrail does? It actually keeps the car from going into the ditch. It protects and directs your relationship. Some of you here have had relational smash-ups. You've actually taken your relationship to the shop. You've gotten it repaired, but what's actually gonna keep it from going down the ditch again? A guardrail, a healthy boundary with that person. And that's why today I wanna teach you two guardrails, because typically guardrails are on both sides of the road. Two healthy fences that you can set in your relationship. Now the first fence or the first guardrail that I wanna teach you is to right size your expectations. Everybody say it with me, right size your expectations. Church, one of the reasons that we take offense is because we actually have needs that we want other people to meet. Or we have rules and we want everybody to play by them. And in every relationship, it doesn't matter whether it's with your spouse, your partners, your coworkers, your kids, your roommates, every relationship involves expectations. And here's the key. No two people will ever see things in the same way, am I right? For example, you may think uh, your father should be very affirming. He, he should be nurturing to you. He should be physically affectionate, emotionally available all of the time. But guess what? He's actually not. And because those expectations aren't met, negative emotions on your end will actually come up, which will eventually lead to an offense that will create a fence. Or maybe you think your brother should be doing more to care for your aging parent and he's not. All the responsibility is on your shoulders. But what if instead you put a guardrail up and you right-sized your expectations? Actually understanding, you know what? Neither my father nor my brother are Jesus, so they can't possibly meet any one of my expectations, or at least not everyone. Let me give you another example. What if we also right-sized our expectations on text? Am I right? Guys, I get a text or I send out a text 
and you want an immediate response. You're like, I'm sending a text. I'm giving her a second. Why isn't she getting back to me? Or worse, you start to see those three little dots pop up. So you actually know, oh, they're getting ready to reply. But then nothing comes. And you're like, what the heck? Don't they know that I have to have this answer now? You know what? Let me DM them on Instagram. But now they're leaving you unread on Instagram. So then you go to Facebook Messenger. Because don't they know that you need a response and you need it now? And now all of a sudden you start filling the gap. You start telling yourself a story with an incorrect narrative. When the reality is the reason those three dots popped up in the first place was because she did start responding but then her kid put his finger in the electrical socket and she forgot about the text. Meanwhile, you've been carrying around an offense for four days because your friend was just trying to be a mom. Is it possible that you've been carrying around a fence when the reality is all you needed was the guardrail of right-sizing your expectations? By the way, we right-size our expectations in four ways. The first is that they cannot be unconscious. You actually first need to become aware that you have expectations. They need to be conscious. Then they need to be spoken expectations. You need to communicate them to the other person so that they can all be agreed expectations by you and the other person in the relationship. And finally, they need to be realistic because remember, Expectations actually come from our desire, our need for other people to meet every one of our needs. And so I want you to understand that expectations can be based on sinful desires. Only Jesus can meet every one of those needs. And that's why when you know that Jesus is everything to us, that he is the only one that can fulfill our expectations and that our hope is in him, then we understand our relationship doesn't have to be shaken when our expectations don't meet. That's why Psalm 62 actually says, my hope comes from whom? It comes from Jesus. He's my rock. He's my salvation. He's my fortress. And I will not be shaken when other people don't meet them. Guys, that's one of the fences that I'm putting up with the person who hurt me that I shared about earlier. I'm right-sizing my expectations of what our friendship will look like moving forward because I want to be in a relationship with them, but I also know they're not going to fulfill every one of my needs. So for example, I have realized I no longer will have an expectation that what we discuss is something that's going to stay between us. So there are topics that I'm no longer willing to listen to or even engage in. We can talk about many things. We're, not, we're just not going to talk about all of the things. Can I just tell you in the beginning, right-sizing your expectations, man, it will be hard. So can I just tell you, give yourself some grace in the process. Practice self-compassion. And if you're sitting here today and you're actually the person who feels a shift in your relationship, like it's starting to dawn on you that you're the person the boundary was put in place for, can I just encourage you? Can you practice making more deposits in your relationship instead of withdrawals? In other words, I like to say it this way, bless people more than you stress other people. And I want you to know that if you understand in advance that it will be hard, it's going to make right-sizing your expectations a little bit easier. So 
first guardrail that we're putting up, we're gonna right size our expectations. And the second guardrail that we're gonna be putting up is to have a slow trigger. Everybody say slow trigger. We're gonna say it like the matrix, slow trigger. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by a slow trigger? Well, it means that, guys, you can't control what people are gonna say to you, but you can control your reaction to what they say. And can I just tell you, I can't think of a more useful boundary than the boundary of having a slow trigger. I mean, think about it. We are living in one of the most triggering and emotionally reactive times that I've ever lived in before. People's fuses are short. They take offense on every little thing and you got to learn to pick your battles. And so the key will become to learn how to differentiate. Can we say that word together? Differentiation. Differentiation is the ability to not become reactive to other people's emotions. And it actually comes straight from the Bible because in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible actually says, love does not dishonor others. It is self-seeking and it is not what church? Easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that love doesn't get angry. It means that love doesn't get easily angered. Love has a slow trigger and a long fuse. And a slow trigger is actually gonna give you the ability to remain close to another person without having to become emotionally reactive against them. You know, I recently met with someone, a couple, in my travels around the campuses, who've been married for almost 20 years. And guys, through the pandemic, they actually discovered one is pro-vaccine and the other one is anti-vaccine. That's no bueno, okay? You can imagine that it gets worse because they have two teenagers and one parent is actually saying yes to the vaccine. This is a safety issue. The kids need to be safe at school. Meanwhile, the other parent is like, no way, Jose. There is no way on God's green earth that I'm putting any of that stuff inside my kids. Yeesh. They may never resolve this issue. But here's the key. If they have a slow trigger, and I can't think of anything more triggering than the topic of vaccinations, they may actually be able to listen to each other with empathy actually maybe try to understand where each person is coming from. They're gonna remain in the relationship with each other and avoid getting repeatedly hurt, even if they're not able to resolve the conflict. And that's what we see Jesus do in this passage. The Bible tells us the Nazarenes took offense at Jesus. But instead of letting the Nazarene's emotions spill over and trigger Jesus, he actually remains calm. He acknowledges without any type of anger or judgment, by the way, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. In other words, Jesus, Jesus acknowledges, you know what, it's actually gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard for the people of Nazareth to accept me as coming from God. 
And while he's not angry about it, he's not judging them for it, I do think our Savior leaves his hometown a little bit sad, maybe even heartbroken, because he knows that the very people that he grew up with, that he cared about the most, would actually experience his love the least. They did not have healthy fences. What they had were offenses that created unhealthy fences. And as a result, they're the ones that missed out, not him. And they're missing out not only on his miracles, they're missing out on knowing him as the son of God. So to end our time together, I want to take a moment and I want to ask you, let's take an inventory of your heart. Because I want to ask you to reflect on two questions. First, what offenses are you holding on to that's created a fence you need to let go of? Remember, offenses create fences. And then out of the two healthy fences that we just discussed, the two guardrails, which one, and maybe it's both, do you need to put up? Do you need to right-size your expectations? Because you recognize, man, I've been placing unrealistic expectations on all the people that I love. And you know what? When you do that, the people who know you the best actually will get the worst of you, while the people who know you the least will get your best. And today it's actually, I believe it's Jesus's opportunity, his invitation to flip that by right-sizing your expectations. Or maybe you need to put up the boundary or the guardrail of having a slow trigger. Because you know, I've been letting other people's emotions impact how I feel, and it's actually keeping me offended. Guys, I had to examine myself before I preached this message, and do you know what I realized? There are two relationships in my life that need new fences. And I know that there is one for you too. And so I thought, you know what? What better way for us to end our time together than by asking Jesus, the one person who is most familiar to us, who knows us best, to perform one of the best miracles that he can in our lives, which is to bring health to our relationships. I want us today to make the choice that we're going to respond differently than the Nazarenes. Those guys let their lack of faith keep them feeling hurt. But instead, let's be people who actually set up new guardrails in your relationships, in all of our relationships, that can actually let you appreciate what they are, what the relationship is, and experience God's power through it. So I want to invite everybody in every location, whether you're at home in one of our campuses, I want to invite you to bow your heads as I pray for us. Father, I thank you today for your children. Lord, you are a God who created us to live in community. It is not good for us to not enjoy the fruits of having healthy relationships. But Lord, I recognize that's hard. Because of our sinful nature, it's hard, Lord, at times to not pick up offenses that were never meant for us to carry, to not be able to let go and forgive or to not feel like we can remove the fences that we build because we hold on to our offenses too long. And so today, Lord, I thank you that you invite all of us to come back into the fold of our Father's love, to allow you to examine our hearts, 
to allow us to forgive whoever it is that we need to forgive. But more importantly, Lord, give us wisdom. Expand our imagination, our discernment, Lord, so that we know what relationships new, new, need new guardrails, Lord, and then help us set it. Help us give ourselves compassion. Give us of your grace and your strength to walk and in a way that allows us to direct, but also protect the relationship that you give us as gifts for us to enjoy. And so we thank you for this, Father. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.